the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. I'm going to ask you to uh, imagine a New Yorker cartoon with me. It shows two yogis who are sitting in the lotus position on the very edge of their cave, high up on a mountaintop. And as they're sitting there meditating, all of a sudden, a 747 comes flying over very loudly and very low. They look at one another, and then one says, Ah, they have know-how, but do they have know-why? I admit it's subtle. <laughs> After all, it's the New Yorker. <laughs> the church today has a lot of know-how. We have state-of-the-art buildings. We have education for our clergy. We have uh, church school programs that are based on the best understanding of how we grow in the faith. We have various kinds of uh, engagement with culture. And we've had, it seems, endless amounts of research on church life and worship patterns. But does the church know why it is the church? Well, today we have in our gospel, I believe, a blueprint for the church and for us as Christians. It is nothing less than the mission statement for Jesus and his ministry, and I believe for us and our ministry as well. It is the answer to knowing why. In Luke's account of Jesus' early ministry, Jesus is baptized first by John, and the Spirit comes down upon him, and then the Spirit leads him out into the wilderness where he's tested. And then after that, Luke has this account of Jesus returning to Nazareth to his home synagogue. This is different from the way the, the other gospel writers present this early ministry of Jesus. This particular event comes really much later in the other two Gospels, the Synoptics. But uh, Luke is trying to make a point, and I think he's tying a number of things together. First of all, I think Luke wants to make clear that this is about the work of the Holy Spirit. If you read uh, Luke's Gospel and then also Luke's other book, the book of Acts, you'll see that it's all about the working of the Spirit in Jesus and then the working of the Spirit in the early church. The Spirit is at the heart of the story. And Jesus was enabled in his ministry by the Holy Spirit, just as we are in our ministries. I think the second thing that we need to see and acknowledge is that Jesus was a faithful Jew. We have lost touch, I think, with the Judaism that underpins our Christian faith. Jesus was faithful in synagogue worship. He went to the synagogue and would read from the, from the Torah and from the prophets. And obviously he taught and he preached. So I think those are two things that we need to keep in mind. But the Spirit plays a huge role in all of Luke and in the Acts, of the, in the Acts uh, of the Book of Acts, and then, of course, in the life of Jesus throughout his ministry. Well, Luke says that Jesus spent a great deal of time ministering in Galilee, healing, and he was uh, also preaching in the synagogues, and his reputation grew. And then finally he comes to his home synagogue. Now, one can imagine that that was a very different experience for Jesus, any of you who have gone back to your hometown, 
uh, having experienced many different things in your life, uh, realize how it's kind of different. I'll never forget a Sunday school teacher of mine, whom I love very much, uh, at her funeral. I was asked to participate in it. And so this is in a little Methodist church in Chester, South Dakota. I was there. The minister did most of the service. I think I offered a couple of prayers. And then we're sitting there toward the end of the service, and he leans over and says, Would you give the benediction? I said, Sure. So I got up, and I realized I never thought of that in terms of a benediction. So I blessed them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And they looked at me like a deer in the headlights. (laughs) It was a startling experience for both of us. I think Jesus had that kind of experience at the synagogue in Nazareth. His extended family were probably there and friends that he had grown up with. And they're wondering, what is it about this guy? He went off and he now has this reputation. And then Jesus receives the scroll and he opens the Isaiah scroll to that portion that he wanted to read that day in that place. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it to the attendant, and sat down. One can imagine that there was a fair amount of silence that followed that, waiting to hear what it was he was going to say. I think it's important for us to hear this and to understand a couple of things. First of all, It ends with this wonderful phrase to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's a reference to the Jubilee year. The Jubilee year was the year that all debts were forgiven. The land was allowed to lie fallow for a year, not to be worked, to replenish itself. Many returned to their ancestral homes. It was a time of renewal. It was a time of release because the slaves were set free as well. Jesus was proclaiming in this echo of the Jubilee year that what his ministry was about was a Jubilee year that would year that would never end. It was a year when there would be great release forever and ever. And as you think about that uh, passage that he chose, it's all about release. It's about seeing for those who are blind. There's a lot of different kinds of blindness. It's about being relieved if you're oppressed. The other thing that is interesting about what Jesus did, he was a bit selective in the use of the quote. This is from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And he leaves out a part of the second half of verse 2. And the phrase he leaves out is this. And the day of vengeance of our God. He leaves out the reference to God's vengeance. I believe it has to have been something that he did intentionally. And I think it's because he wanted to make clear that the focus of his ministry was not about God's vengeance, but rather God's mercy, about God's justice and about God's grace. Now, given all that they had heard about him and uh, certainly were sitting there wondering What was he going to say about this passage he just quoted? Jesus simply says, 
Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It must have been deafeningly silent when he said that, because I think there were many who understood the meaning of that, what he was communicating and saying that. Scholars believe that the text that Jesus quoted was used in the Qumran community as an important description of the work of the Messiah. And they also believe that this was a, a widely held understanding. So for many, they would have understood in that synagogue that Jesus was talking about the anointed one of God, about the Messiah, and that Jesus was saying that he was the Messiah, that he was the one who was to carry out that mission statement that was contained in the prophet Isaiah. Well, there are lots of things that we could consider regarding this, but I think perhaps the most important thing to see in it is that, you know, someone says to you, Jesus never says anywhere in the New Testament or in the Gospels that he's the Messiah. I think he said it here. I think that's clear. There's a form of Bible study called the African Method, uh, some of you have probably experienced it. It's widely used throughout the church and really throughout the world among Christians. It goes this way. First, uh, it invites the participants to listen to the gospel and respond with a simple word or phrase, anything that, that stood out for them. And then the gospel is read a second time. And this second time, the participants are asked to comment on where they understood that gospel to be speaking specifically to them, or perhaps to their community. And the gospel is read one more time. And that last time, the participants are asked, what is Jesus or the gospel asking you to do? When we ask that question of ourselves, and when we answer it honestly, and then act on it, things happen. Change occurs. It is possible then, I believe, for good news to come to the poor. It's possible for people who are captive to be released. And I think it's possible for the eyes of the blind to be opened and the oppressed to be set free. Here in all of that, the freedom that Jesus was offering to God's people, the release that he was offering to everyone, where does Jesus' ministry to the poor, the captive and the blind and the oppressed touch your life and my life? This gospel clearly expresses a, a preference for the poor in Jesus' ministry. And the liberation theologians picked up on that and, and made a huge difference in the life of the very poor, especially in Central and South America. But we don't live there. We live in Massachusetts. We live in affluent communities. How does it relate to us? Well, there are many ways to be poor, and there are many ways that we can be oppressed. The message that Jesus had and the mission that he entered into is a mission that is alive today in the affluent church as it ever was among the poor. We are called to reach out, out of our affluence, to reach out to those who are in need and who are poor. But we are also called to reach out to one another and to recognize in ourselves where we may be in need, where we may be blind, where we may be oppressed, 
and to remember that Jesus is reaching out to us, offering to us wholeness. In a few months, uh, you will begin the search process for a new rector. And it begins very intentionally after the old guy walks out (laughs) so that I don't meddle in it. But I'm going to venture to uh, make a couple of suggestions. (laughs) One is, uh, in the process of forming that profile, which is so important in expressing who you are as a congregation and what your hopes are for the future, I hope that you will consider that section from 1 Corinthians that talks about the body of Christ and the diversity within the body and that every member of the body has a role and is important. I think that's very important to hold as you think about the future of this parish. And the second thing is that I would hope that you would uh, look at what you look for in the future in terms of ministry and put it up against this, uh, this mission statement of Jesus and see if the two are compatible. They don't have to be exactly alike, but they should be compatible. You're going to enter into a very exciting time in the life of this parish. You can look at what's gone on before, the good things and also the things where we have not done so well. And you can look ahead and think about what it is what it is that God is leading you to do, to enter into as a parish. I think it's going to be a very exciting time for you. I pray that all of us can hear in this commission that was given to Jesus, a call to us to act. And not just in the future, but rather in the immediacy of the now. The only time we have is now. And I I encourage you to think about what it is that Jesus or the gospel is calling you to do now. Amen. Amen.